Okay, I'm going to, um, I just want to have a look tonight at the thought of, um, actually to do with false prophets. And um, if uh, if you've ever been, uh, who's ever been, actually I won't ask for a show of hands, but if you've ever been ripped off, gypped off, led down the garden path, taken for a ride, all those kinds of things, it's not a very, um, it's not a very nice sensation when you realise that's what's happened to you. And uh, I'm sure at some stage in life all of us have had something like that occur. And the Bible is, uh, God gives very good and very clear instruction on how we can avoid getting ripped off or taken for a ride spiritually because he cares about that a lot. He doesn't want to see that happen to anyone. And I want to start in Matthew chapter 7, if you can turn there. And uh, Jesus speaking in, uh, in verse 15. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, and neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth, uh, bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. And not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter to, into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have, have uh, cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Jesus is, um, is giving a warning and a statement that when he returns, that there'll be people through through the ages that when they meet their creator, when they meet the son of God, their justification of themselves is going to be, but look what I've done in your name. Look what I've done um, in the name of God. Wonderful works, prophecy, a whole range of things that it lists there. And they will believe that's their entitlement to enter into the kingdom. And Jesus said that won't be the case for everybody. It won't be the case. And he said, look, if you want to know where somebody's really coming from, you can tell by the fruit. You can tell by the fruit in their life. What is grown from their actions and from their sayings? Um, that's how you can tell a false prophet, someone who's not really representing me. And he goes on and he says, because somebody cries or everybody cries, Lord, Lord, and, and lists their credentials of things they may have done in the name of God, it's, a, it's not an automatic entry into the kingdom of God. Jesus gives what's really important. He says, he goes on, and he says, but he that doeth the will of my Father. And what's implied in that is not just to do it once, but to continue to do the will of the Father. And um, he's warning his disciples, and, and just as it stands for us today, that um, we've got to carefully examine um, the fruit of those who claim to be God's labourers. It's, um, it's, Jesus warns about it. Um, in Hebrews chapter 1, if you just want to turn there with me. I just wanted to start reading in verse 1 before we have a look at a particular prophet. It says, God, in verse 1, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, 
by whom also he made the worlds. This starts out by declaring, well, God now communicates and proclaims his will through his son, Jesus Christ. We know that. We've experienced it personally. And uh, he does it through his word. He does it through the Holy Ghost, his place within us. And when Jesus Christ was transfigured, we know he had Moses and, and he had Elijah that appeared with him. We, there was a voice that came from heaven and God, and God said, you know, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. He's who I want you to pay attention to. But in times past, it starts out by saying that um, God in, in sundry times, in, in several various times, in different manners, different occasions, he communicated through the prophets. Um, and uh, even though he did that, they didn't all do God's will. And we're going to have a look at someone like that. Even though they had the privilege of being able to um, hear God, even communicate with him um, in a, I guess, in a very special way, and they're even able to accurately prophesy um, some events of the future and some of God's will, not all of them went on to actually do the right thing. I want to have a look actually at the story of, of Balaam. If you want to turn back with me to the book of Numbers chapter 22, he's an interesting character, Balaam. I'm going to have a look, Numbers 22. Balaam and a, and a character, a king by the name of Balak. So we're not actually given a lot about the background of uh, of Balaam, um, but he's uh, he's known, referred to as a uh, a prophet or more so a, a diviner. Sometimes even what the Bible would maybe indicate as more of a soothsayer. And there's a lot of uh, uh, writings about him, and he's usually he's often referred to as a, as a as a good as this, as good character. But when you dig into as we're going to have a look at some of uh, how he ended up, we see it's not really the case. And the main story that we're going to look at here occurs, um, it's just after, um, it's near the close of the the, um, dwelling in the wilderness for 40 years, just before the death of Moses. And they're um, they're crossing the Jordan, or before the crossing of the Jordan, Jordan, and Israel have already defeated a couple of kings. They've already um, beaten the king... um, Sion, his name is, the king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan. They've already defeated him. And there's this, this fellow called Balak, the king of Moab. And he hears about the children of Israel. We're going to have a look. And he becomes a bit alarmed at these people who are coming in. And I guess he started to question his own fate and what that was going to mean for him. So we're just going to read in verse uh, Numbers 22, verse 1. And it says, And the children of Israel set forward and pitched in the plains of Moab on the side of Jordan by Jericho. And just just quickly, what's interesting is uh, this king of Moab, if we know the, the story or the background of, of, I guess, the origin of, of the Moabites and the, uh, and the Ammonites, um, not really a good, a good start. We know that um, after coming out of Sodom and Gomorrah, um, Lot's daughters came and uh, there's an incest situation happened there and they became the children of Lot. So their, their history... Or their background as a nation um, probably didn't start out in the best of circumstances. So this is the people that came from those children. And it goes on and says in verse 2, And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. I said the Ammonites before, I meant the Amorites. And Moab was sore afraid of the people because they were many, and Moab was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said unto the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up 
all that are around about us as the ox licketh up the grass of the field. In other words, going to be totally devoured. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. And he sent messages, therefore, unto Balaam, the son of Beor, to Pethor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me, this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail, that we may smite them, and that I might drive them out of the land, for I wot that he whom thou blessest is blessed, and he whom thou cursest is cursed. Um, and it goes on in verse 7, and it says, And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand. You've got to watch those rewards of divination. And it says, And they came unto Balaam and spake unto him the words of Balak, this king of Moab. And he said unto them, uh, lodge here this night and I will bring you word again as the Lord shall speak unto me and the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. So you just get this picture of these people that came up, I guess, to to uh, to Balak there. Where you just imagine like a swarm of ants. This must have been how he saw them. They would just come up and they were going to devour everything in their sight and he was very threatened by it. So he goes, he finds Balaam and he wants them to be cursed. We're just going to keep reading in verse 9. It says, And God came unto Balaam and said, What men are these with thee? And Balaam said unto God, Balak the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt, which covereth the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them, peradventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And God said unto Balaam, Thou shalt not go out with them, thou shalt not curse the people, for they are blessed. And Balaam rose up in the morning and said unto the princes of Balak, Get ye into your own land, for the Lord refuses to give me leave to go with you. In other words, get out of here. Split. And the princes of Moab rose up, and they went up unto Balak, and said, unto ba- and said Balaam refuses to come with us. And Balak sent yet again princes more and more honourable than they. So he kept upping the stakes. Right, let's try a different tactic. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus saith Balak the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray thee, hinder thee from coming unto me, for I will promote thee unto the very great honour, and will do whatsoever thou sayest unto me. Come, therefore, I pray thee, curse me, this people. If you come with us, we'll make you famous. We'll make you something important. And Balaam answered and said unto the servants of Balak, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord, my God, to do less or more. So to begin with here, his, his attitude appears to be quite good. And he goes on and he says in verse 19, Now therefore I pray you, tarry ye here also this night, that I may know, may know what the Lord will say unto me more. And he almost he started to go wrong here because he already knew what the Lord's will was. And it says, And God came unto Balaam at night and said unto him, If the men come to call thee, rise up and go with them. I actually think what it's trying to say in that translation is, If the men come and say, rise up and go with us. That's, I believe that's the way the translation should read. He says, but yet the word that I shall say unto thee, that shall thou do. He'd already told them not to go with him in verse 12. God said, thou shall not go with them. The translation makes it read sound like he was saying, we'll go with them, but we'll see that God wasn't happy with this. Verse 21, and Balaam rose up in the morning and, and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab, and God's anger was kindled because he went 
And the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass and his two servants were with him. Now we know the story that happens here. This is the thing that we remember most about Balaam, the uh, the donkey. And uh, he starts getting the donkey, sees the angel of the Lord there. And he starts getting stuck into the donkey because the donkey's not doing as he pleases, as he wants him to. And we're just going to pick it up in verse 27. And it says, And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled. I just covered that before. And it says, And the Lord, in verse 28, opened the mouth of the ass. And she said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee, that thou hast smitten me these three times? And without flinching an eyelid, and Balaam said unto the ass, Because thou hast mocked me, I would, I would, there were a sword in my hand, for now would I kill thee. And it's, it's laughable, isn't it, that he just answered this donkey. It doesn't appear that he hesitated or stuttered. He's a, he's the donkey whisperer. He talks back to this donkey. And, um, and it's just an incredible thing, you know, but being a background of a diviner, I suppose, um, and the false prophet that he was, he was probably accustomed to seeing some pretty strange things happen. So you talk back to a donkey as you do. It's nothing unusual in the, in the day of a diviner. And at this point, um, Balaam was allowed to see the angel. And we know this story pretty well. And, and we're told that, uh, well, we know that's the only reason the angel did not kill Balaam at that time because he, he stopped the donkey first. And if we were to read on the story, we see Balaam's repentant at that stage. And to go on from there, what happens is he ends up, uh, he ends up being allowed to go with this, Mo- with this, um, the king of Moab. And he takes him up to this high place of Baal. And he, he asks, um, he's asked by, by Balak to, uh, to, to curse the children of Israel still. And so, um, Balaam has him set up these seven altars, these altars. And instead of a curse coming at this one place, he ends up prophesying this blessing upon Israel because he kept repeating to him, look, I can only say the words of God. And yet again, we see Balak wasn't happy with that. And you can read all this in, in verse 23 and 24, uh, chapter 23 and 24 of Numbers. There's actually seven different prophecies that Balaam, Balaam says all to do with the prospering of Israel. And as Balak gets more and more frustrated, he moves him on to the next place and he sets up these altars again and he asks for him to be cursed. And what happens is the Lord moves through Balaam and he ends up speaking of prosperity, of the nations that they were going to conquer and of, uh, I guess, their good morality. And he speaks, he doesn't speak words against um, the children of Israel. He speaks words of their prosperity. There's a third place he gets taken to. And again, the same thing happens. And he ends up talking um, about the fate of other peoples, of the Kenites and the Amalekites, is, uh, is what he ends up doing. And... In the end of this story, it just appears that Balak and Balaam are just allowed to go back home. Balak ended up very frustrated with him because he wouldn't curse his people, but it seems like they just disappear out of the out of the background. But is that the end of the story? Because on the surface, it looks like well, Balaam kind of held his ground. He he spoke for the Lord. He didn't appear to uh, do anything too bad, but um, because he declared, "Look, I can only say what God speaks," but there's more to him than that. We're going to see the end of Balaam. And before before we look at it, I just want to turn over to Luke chapter 6. And along a similar similar line to what we were reading before, I want to start reading in verse uh, 43. We read here, it says, For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. 
and said, to this point, other than a little bit of a hiccup, Balaam looks like he wasn't too bad of a character. It says, for every tree is known by his own fruit, for of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of, of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man out of the evil treasures of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For, for of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. And then he goes on and says, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? And he goes on and talks about the person who hears God's sayings and what he's like and what foundation his, uh, his life is built on. And then it, just to, down in verse 49, it says, But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man without a foundation built on a house upon the earth, and against which the stream did beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Despite Balaam's ability to commune with God and be in that incredibly privileged position to actually be able to know what God's, uh, I suppose, to hear what his will was and, his, and communicate with him regarding some of the future of Israel, he didn't do God's will. And the ruin of Balaam's house is, is actually a great one. In, in uh, Numbers chapter 25, um, I'll, I'll just quote it, it describes how Israel ends up being engaged in immorality and idol worship and with the women of Moab it talks about. And you can check this, this in Numbers 25 verse 1 through 9, which results in God getting angry with them and there's a deadly, deadly plague that actually goes through the, through the children of Israel there. But where we will turn is to Numbers chapter 31. Because the reason that that happened is actually attributed to Balaam. Numbers chapter 31. Alright, Numbers 31 and in verse 16. We read, it says, Behold, these caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor, and there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Also, Joshua, um, when he gives his farewell speech, um, as he's about to depart, he also makes a reference to, um, to God's protection leaving Balaam and that the Midi- and, and among, also about the Midianites who were killed in the matter of Peor. And he's actually listed, if, Balaam's actually listed. If you want to go across to, now to Joshua, this guy starts popping up everywhere. Right, Joshua chapter 13. I didn't say that, did I? Joshua 13. It tells us how he lost his life. In Joshua 13, verse 22, it says, Balaam, also the son of Beor, the soothsayer, did the children of Israel slay with the sword among them that were slain by them. He ends up losing his life and his actions had a uh, had a lasting effect. Um, although he appeared to be a good guy on the surface, we see that uh, he, he taught the children of Israel to uh, to go after idols and to commit um, to commit immoral practices. And um, it's actually mentioned in the book of Revelation. If you want to go over to Revelation chapter two, there's a letter here to the church that's at Pergamos. We read in verse twelve of Revelation two. It says, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. 
I know thy works and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seed is, and thou holdest fast my name and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam. However many centuries later, what Balaam taught was still a problem for this church in Pergamos, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. For all Balaam's ability to commune with God, he, he's the one held responsible for teaching the king of Moab, Balak, to, to, teach, to teach him how to make the children of Israel go astray. And I guess that what we're really looking at here tonight is no matter how knowledgeable someone appears, no matter how um, in tune they might have been in the past or whatever it is, bad direction, if, if they go astray, can be long-lasting. And as I said, for centuries later, wherever this, this church of Pergamos, you know, um, many, many centuries later, there's people there who still held this doctrine of Balaam. And I guess the question is, what, what do we do that, um, so that we don't get led astray by a... I don't know, a donkey whisperer for better, for a better word, because that's who, all he ended up being in the end of the day was a glorified donkey whisperer. And Paul, Paul wrote about, and we're going to have a look at, he knew that, you know, knowledge and understanding is, uh, is a good thing. But, um, if knowledge and understanding is, um, is without love, without God's love, without an obedience to his will and, and an ongoing obedience to his will, and it's a, and it's just a um, it's an emotional an emotional love, or we're led by our emotions. It'll uh, it'll lead us away. And um, the love that we have to have for the Lord is one that is for men's souls. That's what the godly love is. And in First Corinthians chapter thirteen, if you want to just uh, turn back there with me, Paul is is where he writes about this. He says in verse two, and though I have. For even if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, even if I have uh, this ability and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I'm nothing. If I don't have the love of God where, I, where he's talking about the love of God that wants to stay in tune with God's will, you know, in, in an ongoing manner. And, and Jesus said clearly, didn't he? He said, if you love me, the, the test of that love is that you'll keep my commandments. That is a test of, uh, of, of loving God. And there's a really good recipe um, given um, in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if we, if we just turn there. And great advice given to the, the church at Thessalonica, again by Paul, about just how to keep how the church to keep themselves in the love of God and to keep a, a clarity about what they have and to keep their relationship strong with the Lord and 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 not I suppose get get led off on a on a path that uh, that wouldn't end up being good for them and it just says in verse 14 it says now we exhort you brethren warn them that are unruly comfort the feeble minded support the weak and be patient toward all men you know, this isn't actually a, a message of being uh, all-embracing, of whatever people give to us, just accept it. He's saying, look, if if there's people, if if there's if there's if it's unruly, what he's saying is, if there's an if there's 
people that are claiming to represent the Lord and what they're giving is unscriptural, he says then, uh, and, and in what they say and in what they do, then he's saying, look, um, warn them. Not, not out of an arrogant way, but out of care and impatience. Warn, warn people, you know, and it's saying support the weak. Don't make merchandise of the weak, support them. And then it goes on and it says, see that none render evil for evil. And if, and as we go through these things, if we tick these things on, off in our life, if we can look at our life and think, well, I try to apply that in my life. I seek the Lord about these things. It's a good list. It says, see that none render evil for evil unto any man. The natural, the natural state is when somebody wrongs us, when somebody leads us down the garden path, we want to, maybe that's our natural reaction. We just want to pay them back the same way they did it to us. That can be our natural instinct. But God's saying that's, that's not the way to go about it. But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. In verse 16, he says, rejoice evermore. Be happy. God's given his people and, uh, and anyone, all mankind will take him up on his, on his offer to be born again. He's given us a lot to be happy about. You know, God said this will be good for our soul. Be happy. 17, pray without ceasing. Our prayer life, you know, it's, um, it's one of those basic things that we get taught from the day we come into a relationship with the Lord to, uh, to put aside a time talking to our Heavenly Father, you know, to pray to Him, to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Yet there's so many things taxing our time sometimes where we just, um, maybe we have good intentions and maybe we just don't get there as often as we should, but that, that invaluable time of just talking to our Creator, you know, in the Spirit. Verse 18, Let in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. To be, to be thankful. We live in probably one of the most unthankful worlds in some ways that we've ever lived in, you know, where we're, we're owed everything and have responsibility to nothing. That's kind of the world we're in. But God's saying, just, just be thankful when we stop and consider everything that He has given to us. We have so much to be thankful for. And then in verse 19, it says, quench not the spirit. Don't put the importance of the use of the Holy Ghost down in our life. You know, there's so much opposition against the Holy Spirit in, uh, in, in the modern day of Christianity, in, in the, the real Holy Spirit, you know, the gift, not the gift of speaking in tongues, but speaking in tongues as the evidence of the Holy Spirit. There's so many places that will teach that it's just one of the gifts. It's not the, a gift of the Spirit. It's the manifestation. It's the evidence that we have the Holy Spirit. And if uh, the Bible says, if any man hath not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if there's other people teaching something different to that, it is another gospel. It is another gospel. And, and, and you know, God, God is, um, in Galatians 1, verse, verse 8 and 9, God talks about that if someone comes to us with another gospel, whether it's an angel or another person, he says, let him be a curse, let him be cut off. Because he says, other than the, what brought you to the truth, that's what we need to hold on to. And if someone brings something else... He says, well, let him put him aside. Let him be cut off because God's protective. He's incredibly jealous of his people. You know, this is important. This is our soul. This is forever. This is important. And God is jealous of his people. That's why he doesn't want another gospel. It's not just so he can look down on other people for the sake of looking down. He's protecting our soul for eternity. That's why we, we you know, another gospel is, is no good. You think about it like a, if a person, we had a little child, 
and a person right under our nose was subtly trying to feed them poison, what would that do? What would that spark up in us? How protective would we get of someone trying to do that to our children? Well, we're God's children and he wants to protect us. No, he doesn't want another gospel. It goes on and it says, verse 20, despise not prophesying. So of course, we, uh, we, we enjoy all aspects of Bible prophecy, but, um, of course, through the Holy Ghost, we've got discernment of whether it's, um, of the Lord. And it goes on in verse 21 and says, prove all things and hold fast that which is good. Hold on to the good things. The things that God says is good, not what is popular culture in our world. That's the benchmark. Hold on to the things that are good. Verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. And then it says in verse 23, and the very, if, it just, it just talks about if we have, if we, if these things are mindful in our life and we're, and we're doing the best endeavor that we can to walk in the Lord and be mindful of these things, it says, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. We don't have to worry about being led down the garden path. And he says, and I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to be kept, to be preserved, ready for the coming of the Lord. It says in verse 24, faithful is he that calleth you. He will also do it. God is faithful. God is not going to lead us down the, down the garden path as we use the spirit that he's given us as the word of God is always our reference. You know, then uh, then God will look after us. If we listen to Him, if we trust Him, His Word and His Spirit, God's going to be able to present us. Like I said, the Son there, Jesus Christ, is going to be able to present us blameless. He will be our advocate before the, before the Lord. His His people, clothed in the blood of the Lamb, washed in the blood of the Lamb, righteous before Him. We know we would never be able to be in that state of ourselves. We've all uh, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, but God. We're precious to him. And um, praise the Lord, we love the gospel that's been delivered to us and, uh, and the wonderful life and testimony we know that we all have in the Lord. I'll, I'll leave it there. Amen.